Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Cray Bolger and I'm here with Mike Pratz and Jacob Avila. Hey guys. Hey Cray. Today we are going to be discussing the shock ed trial. Does point of care ultrasound use impact resuscitation length, rates of intervention, and clinical outcomes during cardiac arrest? a study from the sonography and hypotension and cardiac arrest in the emergency department investigators. This is from Curious, April 2019. So the original shock ed group had a study in 2018 um, looking at ultrasound and hypotension. We reviewed it. If you didn't listen, now's your chance to go back. And they asked about the benefit mortality benefit in doing ultrasound in hypotensive patients. And they are now looking at a sick group of patients, dead people, and saying, how does ultrasound impact other clinical outcomes? So not just um, time off the chest, like some of the previous studies or reversible etiologies, but how does it affect rates of intervention, clinical outcomes, and resuscitation length? So what they did in this study is they included all of their cardiac arrest patients who were adults, and that was defined as being 19 years of age or above. Um, They excluded patients that were 18 or younger, um, and if they had resuscitation that was halted due to end-of-life decisions, or if the initiation of cardiac arrest was done as an inpatient. So they grouped these patients, whether they received the POCUS or the point-of-care ultrasound assessment during ACLS or not, and then the ultrasound group was further subdivided based on if they found cardiac activity or if they saw cardiac standstill on their initial ultrasound examination. So as far as how they integrated it into their regular ACLS kind of protocol, they say that they just did it during their pulse checks. They didn't actually record if there were any delays in CPR, and that's kind of something that's been a hotly debated topic, but they they didn't talk about that in this study. And they obtained the ultrasound images, so actually recorded the clips. Now, as far as cardiac activity itself, that was defined as the patient's heart having sustained coordinated contractility of the left ventricle with visible valve movement. Jacob, if I could just uh, butt in there, I think that's really important how they defined cardiac activity. It would be great if all of these studies on cardiac arrest used the same definition, but unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's true. Reason, that was a, one of the landmark studies in cardiac arrest, defined their cardiac activity as any visible movement of the myocardium, excluding the movement of blood within the cardiac chambers or isolated valve movement. So their definition was a little bit more loose than this definition, which is requiring coordinated contractility of the left ventricle. Which I think is great. Both are great. It would be awesome, though, if since we're going to be comparing this data back and forth, if we had a unified definition that everyone could agree on. So this was a retrospective review of ultrasound images done in arrest. They were able to use a sub-xiphoid peritoneal long or apical four-chamber views, and the people who did the ultrasound were defined as anyone who was competent to do those ultrasounds, which so technically it could have been anybody. 
Now, their outcomes for this study is they were looking at length of resuscitation and frequency of interventions, such as rates of administration of epinephrine and endotracheal intubation. Their secondary outcomes were rates of return of spontaneous circulation and survival to hospital admission and discharge. So let's talk about what they found. Ultimately, in their chart review, they were able to find 223 patients that met their inclusion criteria for their study. So these are all patients in cardiac arrest. Interestingly, 80.7% had a point-of-care ultrasound. So vast majority of these were in the point-of-care ultrasound group. Of those, 11.6% had cardiac activity. So we're breaking it down into these three categories. You have people that had no point-of-care ultrasound, then people with point-of-care ultrasound that either had cardiac activity or no cardiac activity. And those are the three groups that they're going to compare for all of these outcomes. I think it's important too, Mike, because this was retrospective, they weren't really matched either. Um, And so there's some data that looks at them, but they weren't intentionally matched. And I think that's really important when we start to talk about how this applies to our patients, because some people do worse because they were sicker and they were always going to do worse. And ultrasound wasn't going to change that. And sometimes if you're ultrasounding that patient, that makes ultrasound have a disadvantage from the get-go. So true. That's a great point. Anytime you do a retrospective study like this, you have to do a good job controlling for all of the confounders that could change the outcomes of these groups. And although they did look at the baseline characteristics of these patients, such as their age and some comorbidities, and their sex and usual demographic information, there wasn't a whole lot on kind of giving us an idea of how sick they were in one group versus another. So primary outcome, this was the resuscitation effort, which by the resuscitation effort, that's kind of a term that they just grouped together the length of the resuscitation and all of the procedures that they were doing within the resuscitation. And yes, there are multiple primary outcome results, which usually frowned upon, but that's okay. The first outcome here is the length of the resuscitation. To summarize these results, positive cardiac activity on POCUS led to longer resuscitation, more intubation, and more epinephrine administration. The group that had no point-of-care ultrasound was pretty similar to the group that had point-of-care ultrasound with no cardiac activity because their confidence intervals were overlapping. If we look at the actual times there, Positive cardiac activity had a resuscitation length of close to 30 minutes, whereas no point-of-care ultrasound was 15 minutes, and point-of-care ultrasound with no cardiac activity was about 11 minutes. So what they're saying is when people saw that there was cardiac activity, that this led to longer resuscitations, and also, as we'll see, more interventions. So there was a higher likelihood they were going to be intubated with 95% of those with positive cardiac activity getting intubated compared to 46% of those with no cardiac activity. And they're more likely to get epinephrine. 100% of people with cardiac activity got epinephrine, whereas only 82% of people with no cardiac activity. So there's a lot of differences between these groups. Let's talk about secondary outcomes, and then we'll get into the relevance of those findings and what we can make of them. The summary of the secondary outcomes, these were actually the patient outcomes as far as survival. 
So point of care ultrasound with positive cardiac activity had higher return of spontaneous circulation. That was their main secondary outcome, their primary secondary, if you will. For survival to admission and discharge, point of care ultrasound that had positive cardiac activity was better than those people that did not have cardiac activity. That's kind of an obvious thing, and that's been seen in prior trials. However, there was no significant advantage over the no point of care ultrasound group for the outcomes of survival to admission or survival to hospital discharge. So what I'm saying is they may have gotten more people back, but it doesn't look like a significant amount of people walked out of the hospital. And again, there were no neurologic outcomes assessed here. So even the survival to hospital discharge, we don't know what those people looked like when they walked out. Yeah, were they like vegetables or something? Right. So those are the main results, and we'll have the nitty-gritty on the website if you want to compare all of the numbers. But in general, to summarize, it looked like for almost all of these outcomes, the patients that had positive cardiac activity on their echoes during arrest, and remember, this is only the first echo they did when they came in in arrest, those people had longer resuscitations, more interventions, and more survival to return of spontaneous circulation. The group with no cardiac activity did worse, and the group that did not get point-of-care ultrasound was somewhere in between those, usually. So, guys, what are we supposed to do with this? What do you make of this data? So I have some opinions. I know that's surprising. I think this is not generally how I use ultrasound and cardiac arrest. I personally don't like to use ultrasound to decide whether or not I'm going to call an arrest. I use it to decide whether or not I'm jumping back on the chest or if I'm making an intervention, whether it's, I thought it was coarse asystole and actually it looks like there's fibrillation, I'm going to defibrillate, or there's an effusion and I'm going to drain it. But I don't think arrest termination is really my primary goal to do it or not to do it from my point of care ultrasound. That's something that depends on the clinical scenario, how long we've been going, a lot of other factors. Um, and I think that, you know, based on the fact that we were so excited that there was even a definition of cardiac activity from this article, kind of validates that point that we can't decide what cardiac activity and standstill are as a community yet. And so saying, oh, well, that doesn't look like enough to keep going, or that does, we know that the literature's out there that even with no cardiac activity, you can still have good neurologic outcomes. There's literature to support that. So saying that it changed the length of resuscitation, I think is a bit premature until we have better data and definitions. So to take a step back and kind of, I think, unpack what you're saying, Cray, it seems like there's two ways that you can use ultrasound and cardiac arrest, right? Diagnostically and prognostically. And in this study, it's a little bit hard to tease out which they were going for because if you use it diagnostically, right, you're finding an etiology for the arrest. In the reason trial, those patients had a better survival. Like if you find that the patient has tamponade and then you drain it, then they can do better. That makes sense. However, there's also a lot of benefit to ultrasound prognostically, meaning if they have cardiac activity, they're more likely to survive. That's been borne out too. And just like Cray said, not having cardiac activity, although it is a predictor of non-survival, it, it's not like a 100% predictor. It, people that don't have cardiac activity can still survive. So I think like all ultrasounds, 
use this in the clinical context. You know, if this is a patient that has been an unwitnessed arrest and they've been down for an hour before they even got to you and they have no cardiac activity and they were in asystole, I think that their chance of survival is low. If this is a patient who has no cardiac activity, but they're 45 years old and had a VTAC arrest that was witnessed and CPR started right away, I don't think you should stop the resuscitation yet. Use it in the context, like we always say. Now, I think that the idea here that they were going for, because their primary outcome being the resuscitation effort, I think they were thinking more along the lines of prognostically. Does having activity on your point of care ultrasound lead to a longer resuscitation because the patients are doing better. That's that's kind of my interpretation. So theoretically, if you use point of care ultrasound to identify cardiac activity, and then that leads you to think this patient's going to do better, you might work harder, do more interventions, and have a higher chance of getting them back and ultimately getting them out of the hospital. I think that's what they're going for. Unfortunately, in this retrospective study, it's really hard to determine causality. There's so many things that could be going on. We don't know what was going through those providers' heads when they made the decision to prolong the resuscitation or they made the decision to do intubations or doing all these procedures. We don't know. And so it's kind of a chicken and egg scenario here. Were the resuscitations longer because the positive point of care ultrasound findings or were the point of care ultrasound findings positive because these were healthier patients who were going to have a longer resuscitation anyways and going to do better ultimately. We don't know if it's merely identifying the population or if it's more prognostic. I think that's really important because I that's part of why I don't, if I've decided to terminate based on other factors, I'm not going to put a ultrasound probe on during my final pulse check. And part of the reason why is it makes people want to keep going longer if you see anything. And we know that fluids and intrathoracic pressures and um, just even like the natural physiology of dying can cause flickers and movements and motions that aren't meaningful, but that still make people uncomfortable with termination. Um, And I think that's why there's so much controversy over what cardiac activity and cardiac standstill are is because this is like what we sign up for is to not let somebody go. And if you get a glimmer of hope, we tend to latch on to that um, by the nature of what our jobs are. And that's why it's so important to have a really accurate definition of what positive cardiac activity is. And we've talked about that before, right? It's not just like a little twitch in the valve as the fluids go by. It's got to be something a little more meaningful than that. And I think unlike other POCUS, that's a definition that once we decide what that is needs to be multidisciplinary in its education because you're not running a code by yourself. You're often doing your gallbladder ultrasound by yourself or your baby ultrasound by yourself and that's not a big deal but this is a team approach in a code where you know you've got nurses, medics, um, respiratory therapists, PCAs who all have to feel comfortable like we use a code-based team Uh, or team-based code approach in the states typically and I think across the world and everybody needs to feel comfortable and I've that's why again I don't use it on my last call because if one person sees something move they're going to feel more uncomfortable with that resuscitation and I don't like everybody on the team needs to be on board with the plan. Now here's something else I was considering looking through this data we don't know 
exactly what's going on in the no point of care ultrasound group, right? But I'm a little bit suspicious that since it kept landing between the positive cardiac activity and the no cardiac activity, that what's more important here is not if they got the ultrasound, but what their heart was doing anyway, right? Because the group that didn't get point of care ultrasound, it doesn't mean that their heart wasn't either having cardiac activity or not having cardiac activity. So in my mind, that group is just a conglomeration of the other two groups. It's almost like some people that didn't get ultrasound, either, you know, maybe half of them had positive cardiac activity and half of them didn't. And it's probably not half, it's probably more didn't. But that's why I think that group kept landing between the other two groups. It's maybe not so much the ultrasound, doing the ultrasound as much as what the patient's underlying pathophysiology was. And this kind of goes back to the second reason trial where they were looking at whether people with cardiac activity would benefit from other interventions such as more titrated pressors. The authors end their discussion of this paper saying that this work might provide a basis for moving forward with a randomized control trial of point of care ultrasound cardiac arrest, but I kind of think that it might be a little bit late for that because it's going to be hard to randomize people to not getting ultrasound and cardiac arrest at this point. I mean, even the fact that in their study, 20% of patients did not get a point of care ultrasound during their cardiac arrest, that might even be another level of bias saying that were those patients really getting the best possible treatment? You know, could that be another confounder that why those groups did worse? I think our best opportunity to study that is probably going to be in the pre-hospital setting where this isn't standard of care yet. Um, and you have a similarly trained provider group, and it's not yet the, becoming the standard of care. Not to say that it is the standard of care, but the fact that the AHA even mentions it in their guidelines means that it's coming that way. Um, and you're going to be hard-pressed to take a probe out of somebody's hand who wants to use it during cardiac arrest. and. I don't think you can do that. So I think you have to go to a place where it's not being used yet and try it there. And honestly, we might see better data because these are not 20 to 40 minutes into their arrest um, where you may be catching reversible etiologies and um, shockable rhythms earlier be that we're not able to see right now because we just don't have those tools in the field. So maybe that's where this study and this um, tool has a really good opportunity. Okay, I'm going to summarize this study. This was a retrospective chart review of 223 patients in arrest comparing no point-of-care ultrasound to point-of-care ultrasound with cardiac activity to point-of-care ultrasound without cardiac activity. So the take-home points here were that cardiac activity on point-of-care ultrasound is associated with longer resuscitation times and more interventions. Cardiac activity on point-of-care ultrasound also associated with higher rates of return of spontaneous circulation. The last take-home point is that we do not know causality here. We can't really definitively link one to the other. But I have to applaud the authors. This was an incredible effort. This was a great study. It's adding more and more to our understanding of how we can use ultrasound in cardiac arrest. And thank you, too, for tuning in again. We appreciate it. If you want to find out more about our podcast, go on over to ultrasoundgel.org. You can also check us out on Facebook or talk to us on Twitter, where we would love to hear from you. Until then, we'll talk to you later. More. Push it. More.
Gel. More. More. Gel. 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 More. G